All right, H2O Church, again, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we are so excited that you're, you're gathered with us in this virtual format. I'll do the virtual fist bump that Brian invented a few weeks back. Um, we, as Maddie said, we miss you guys a ton. Uh, I, I speak on behalf of the pastors and the staff and all the leaders of this church when I say that we wish so badly that you could be in this room with us, that we could hug you and we could look you in the eyes and ask you how you're doing. I, I do wonder how you are doing. Um, and I think, you know, this is a, such a weird, stressful time for all of us. And I know for me, as the, the person that gets to stand up here and, and speak to you, I've been wondering, like, how much should I talk about COVID-19? Are we just done with it? Are we past it? Or is it still dominating our lives? I know for me, that on the days that I wake up and I try to say, like, okay, this is not going to rule my life today, all the... The, the sadness and the grief and the, the, the losses I'm experiencing and all the difficulty and homeschooling my kids and working out of an office in my bedroom, like, I'm not going to let it bother me, but I just can't. Just to be totally honest with you, it, it, it's, it's messing with me. It still has this way of kind of dominating my life, and I suspect that a lot of us can relate to that. In fact, I'm hearing more and more this idea uh, from mental health professionals that, that we are reaching a breaking point that as this kind of sets in even more, that it's getting harder and harder and harder. We're just kind of done with it. Um, we're doing less, but yet we're so exhausted. Um, we're emotional, and sometimes we don't even know why we're emotional. The isolation, the, lonely, the loneliness, not being able to be with the people we love and do the things that we love to do, it's, it's, it's just getting to us, and it's like we're just done. I know that I can relate to that. I'm there. I, I feel like I have breaking points kind of numerous times throughout the day. I want to share one of them with you. Maybe this will make you laugh. Maybe it'll make you cry. I did both. So um, Tiffany left for a walk a couple nights ago. This is a matter of survival for us. We go out and we take walks. Um, in fact, the day that uh, we had all that snow and we hated living in Ohio, if you're watching from Ohio, um, I went for a walk that day too because it was like this is, this is life or death we have to get out of the house for like a half an hour each day and just be alone and be with God. And so Tiffany went for a walk after dinner. I was cleaning up from dinner, so had the four kids. Um, when I clean up from dinner, I wear like rubber gloves. That's an important detail because of what I'm going to share next. So all of the kids, I said, it's time to take a shower. So uh, all the kids jump into the shower, and uh, Nora, our youngest, she almost always is just walking around in a diaper anyway. So she does this thing where she just kind of jumps in, she takes her diaper off and jumps in the shower with someone. So she got in the shower with Mason, and the girls are upstairs taking their shower. And so um, I'm cleaning up, and I hear Mason, my oldest, my boy, yelling for me, like screaming. And so I run in there, and Nora has gotten into the shower, um, and she's gone to the bathroom, the messier of the two options. And in Mason, I just, he's like saying, Dad, I'm, gonna, I'm gagging. I'm about, I'm about to gag. I'm going to throw up. And so the rubber gloves came in clutch in that moment. So I'm cleaning that up, and it's stressful, and it's chaotic. And, of course, Tiffany's gone in the middle of all this. And then um, our, the, the two girls, the 8-year-old and the 4-year-old, they come downstairs. They're done with their showers, and they're sitting at the bar in our kitchen. And Naomi, our 4-year-old, falls backwards off of the bar stool and lands, it was the most horrendous, loud sound. And so I still got the rubber gloves with some stuff on them, if you know what I mean. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sprinting out into the kitchen. She's laying there, and I thought, 
she's got a concussion, she broke her arm, something like, this is really, really bad. And again, Tiffany is totally, blissfully unaware that any of this is happening. And the truth is, is that that's kind of like just life in our house anyway, but it feels like it's just harder now. That the weight of what's happening internally, like in my heart, in my mind, makes those kind of everyday, funny, chaotic moments even harder. And, you know, for some of you, it's not kids. Life feels more than you can handle for other reasons. Maybe it's working from home, trying to figure out how to do that well, especially if you have family, you know, in the house with you, Um, missing your friends. Um, For college students, living back at home with your parents sooner than what you thought you would. And we're trying, I hope, I trust, like we're trying to not just live by our emotions. We're trying to live by truth. And we're trying to understand what's happening and make sense of it all, right? And I think one of the things that we may be thinking is this idea. It's very common, a kind of slogan in our culture. God won't give me more than I can handle, right? God's not going to give me more than I can handle. Maybe you've said that to yourself. Maybe you've said it to someone else as kind of like a word of encouragement. Don't worry. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. It's very deeply embedded in church culture. It's a slogan that just kind of keeps showing up. It's like a a pop theology soundbite. We don't really actually know where it comes from, most of us. It's just sort of in the air that we breathe, and it keeps getting passed around. And maybe in this new reality that we find ourselves in, it's, it's been on our mind. Or at least as you hear it now, it resonates with you. The concept sounds nice, but when we, you know, we think about these last six weeks of our lives, maybe something doesn't add up. Because we think about what we're going through, a lot of us, and we're like, I think this might actually be more than I can handle. I am not doing well. And so let's, let's talk about that phrase. I want to I talk about it, kind of dissect it, and then lead us. I think the question leads us to really the heart of Christianity, the heart of our faith. And so where does it come from? Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can start to turn there if you want. Um, the verses will be up. I'm going to be bouncing all around in Scripture, by the way. And so if you, if you have a physical Bible, be prepared to kind of do a lot of page turning. Um, and while we're going there, let me also say, if you don't feel overwhelmed right now, maybe you just feel like life is actually easier and it's a blast, um, tuck this away. You know, what we do every Sunday, week after week after week, when we teach from the Word of God is that we're, we're preparing ourselves. It's spiritual training. So not all of these lessons that you hear are going to immediately apply to your life, but there will be moments in your life, definitely, where you're going to feel like it's more than you can handle. And so tuck this away. This does apply to you, even if you don't feel it right now. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So we, we fudge the language a little bit. We kind of twist it and sort of misinterpret a little bit in this idea that God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear kind of turns into God won't give me more than what I can handle. And it sounds good, right? God knows me. God loves me. He only gives me what I can handle. I like how that sounds. Personally, I love that. God knows my capacity, and he will stop right just short of that line of my capacity, and he'll never push me past it. God does know us. God does love us. And he certainly doesn't want us to suffer 
right? Or does he? You know, there's, there's two reasons that this idea that God won't give us more than we can handle, uh, it, there's two reasons it's just patently untrue, like from the Bible. And I want to tell you about those. And then there's two reasons that it tramples upon the gospel. And what I mean by that is that there's two reasons that it really just runs entirely contrary to the very core of our faith. And that's why I love talking about this topic is because it really does honestly kind of usher us right into the very center of what Christianity is all about. We're looking for truth in this season. I know that. I know I am. I know the people around me are. I know you are. We're looking for truth. But guys, here is the truth. Not everything that sounds true is true. And not everything that seems harmless is harmless. And so the first reason that it's untrue is that the passage here in Corinthians is clearly about temptation, not about trials. God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, it is possible in the Greek to uh, have a range of meaning for that word to include the idea of trials. So the Greek scholars out there who are wondering, wait a second, couldn't that be translated trials? It is possible that it could, but we always have to read in context, right? And so when we zoom back just a little bit in verse 6 of that same chapter, it's clear that Paul is addressing those who, quote, desire evil, those who are doing things that run contrary to the very nature of God. In verse 8, he's specifically talking to those who are committing sexual sin. Verse 9, he's talking about those who are putting Christ to the test. Verse 10, those who are grumbling. So clearly, he's talking about those who are in error, who are in sin. And guys, there is a massive difference between a temptation and a trial. Massive difference between temptation here and trial here. Because temptation gives us a choice. Trial does not. Temptation gives us a choice. Trials, they do not. So here's the good news. This is not actually what today's sermon is about, but I, I don't want to make sure I don't just gloss over this. The, the good news in this is that sin is not irresistible, that we will be tempted, but we can, get, we can, we can flee from that. We can remove, we can, we can be victorious over that. That's the promise. God will give us a way out of temptation. But hardship, just tough things. It, don't, it just doesn't work that way. We will suffer. Life is hard. Pain will happen. And I think we're realizing that. Maybe, you know, now more than we ever have, or certainly a ton right now in this season, that hardship just happens. Second reason it's untrue is that the Bible is actually full of stories of people experiencing devastation and despair. The Bible is like this anthology of people whose lives have been wrecked by God, if we're honest. I think of Job in the Old Testament. He loses everything. The guy was, was the most righteous man on the planet, and he lost everything, all of his possessions, all of his livestock, his family, his own health. He lost everything. Joseph sold into slavery. God's people repeatedly enslaved, persecuted. That seems to me like it's more than what they could handle. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. Paul, who wrote the letter to the Corinthians here that we're studying right now, experienced unbelievable suffering. At one point in his letters, he lists what happens. He just gives this laundry list of everything that's happened to him. And this is what he says. He says, I've been imprisoned, beaten, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, robbed, without food, without enough clothing, shivering in the cold. 
Again, that sounds like more than what he could handle. It's overwhelming. The guy was stoned. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9, I love what he says because he's summarizing his experience. He says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, which to me, that is the definition of having more than what you can handle. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This happens. Life happens. It's full of hardship. It's full of trials. Jesus himself promised us that that would be true. But here's what I I really want to make clear, that this idea that God won't give us more than what we can handle, it's not just untrue biblically, but it tramples upon the gospel. It runs contrary to the very nature of this faith of ours. It offends the core of what we believe. And in this season right now, when we're struggling, we need to remember and reclaim what our faith is all about, not run to these kind of token, cheap, misguided sound bites. So the two reasons that it offends the core of Christianity. Number one, it makes our performance the focus of our faith. It makes how we perform, how you and I respond to those hardships, it makes that the very focus of our faith. Because two things can happen, right? If, God's, if, if we live by God won't give me more than what I can handle, there's two things that can happen. Number one, we can handle it. Number two, we can't handle it. Well, look what happens when we handle it. When this is our, uh, kind of the big vision of, of how we live our lives, something difficult comes into our life. God won't give me more than what I can handle. Okay, so I'm gonna overcome this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna tackle this thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna overcome. I'm gonna be strong. I'm gonna conquer it and be victorious. You notice how much I said the word I right there? It just lends itself to pride because if we, if we can do it, we can somehow overcome it, then we get prideful and we become self-righteous and we look down on those who actually struggle and suffer. The second thing that we can do, and I think this is actually more common, even especially I think right now and all that we're going through, we realize that we can't handle it. Like God won't give me more than what I can handle, but I just can't handle it. <laughs> I'm be honest, I can't handle it. And so then we go inward again and we say something is wrong with me. I don't measure up. And then in comes the shame and the guilt and the self-condemnation. Again, it's all about me. It's all about my performance. Let me say this loud and clear. Any belief pattern, any system of thought that ends with you and I either being full of shame or full of pride is explicitly unchristian. It is 100% not the gospel. The gospel frees us forever from pride and from shame, the two great enemies of grace. We came to Jesus with nothing, and he gives us everything. Let me say that again. We came to Jesus with nothing, he gives us everything. And so pride and shame, they just don't even make sense for us in the economy of the kingdom of God. So it's not true because um, it, it makes our performance the focus. The second way that it tramples upon the gospel is that it makes our comfort the purpose of our faith. If God's not going to give me more than what I can handle, then God's greatest purpose for my life is that I be comfortable. Right? God exists to ensure that I never experience anything all that difficult. Really? 
I mean, just think about that. The eternal, preexistent, always been God who spoke everything into existence, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who counts the hairs on your head, who knows everything about you, who spoke it all into existence. He exists to make sure that I'm comfortable. Right? It just doesn't even, it doesn't sound right. But if we're honest down deep, I think because we want it so badly to be true, we find ourselves living that way. And so here's what the Bible actually teaches us. God's plan for you is to transform you into the image of Jesus for the sake of the world. That's his mission. That is what he is doing. Yes, it starts with repentance. It starts with a decision. And if you've never made that decision, maybe today is the day you make that decision, that we come humble. We go to Jesus and we tell him, we have nothing to offer you other than a broken heart. We can't do this. We need you. We're sinful. I've offended a holy and perfect God. I need made new. I need reborn. So we come humble. It starts with a repentance and a decision to follow Jesus all the days of our lives. But it's so much bigger than that. We don't just believe the right things, but this huge, massive, lifelong project gets underway of making you and I more like Jesus in our character, in our thought life, in our actions. Not just for our sake, not so that we can puff up and be spiritually self-righteous, but for the sake of the people around us who don't know God, for the sake of this world that's so desperate to know him. That's why Paul says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if our lives are about living Jesus and who he is, then the question becomes, was Jesus ever overwhelmed? Did Jesus ever experience incredible pain and difficulty and hardship? And if he did, how did he respond? So go with me to Matthew chapter 26 to a moment just days before Jesus' death, which we just celebrated on Good Friday and this Easter season that is now past us. This is a profound, deeply, deeply intense moment in the life of Jesus. In Matthew 26, verses 36 to 39, it says, Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Was Jesus overwhelmed? The weight of the sin of every human life. The weight of every broken, crooked thing in this world through every, every century. And he's asking the Father, will you take it from me? But something happens. I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Because something happens in that moment, right? Jesus starts off by saying, Father, if it's possible, will you take this cup from me? But where, where he ends is not my will, but your will be done. And something amazing happens in that moment because he walks out of that garden and he goes without resistance, without fighting against it, almost entirely silently to the cross, submissively to die at the hands of those he made. 
It's amazing. In his moment of despair, Jesus surrendered everything to the Father. And I don't know exactly what happened in that moment, but he received what he needed. He received from the Father what he needed. And you and I know this. There's this mysterious and almost palpable, visceral joy that we get when we walk with God in the midst of the hardest things, in the the mess and the chaos. There's this joy that comes when we experience God in those places. You see, when life is overwhelming, we are positioned perfectly for surrender. And friends, I think that's what God is after. He's after our surrender. He's after you and I doing exactly what Jesus did in that garden. Pain is going to come. Life is going to be messy. There are going to be times where it is absolutely overwhelming and more than you can handle. And in those moments, there's this grace because we get it that what life is really all about is getting more and more and more of God himself. We're reminded that our greatest hunger is for God. And there's there's something about hard things that just position us to know that and to receive from God. Did you know this? God wants us to be weak. He really does. Having it all together, putting on a happy face, never struggling, never doubting, somehow living beyond, floating, levitating above the chaos of this life, it's not Christianity. I don't know what that is, but it is not Christianity. You are going to get sometimes more than you can handle, and I wonder if right now you feel that way. Praise God, he wants to give you more of himself. Praise God. God, he wants to give you more of himself. We are weak, and it's in that weakness that we become the people God made us to be. It's funny, Paul himself asked God to take away what he called this thorn in his flesh. We're not exactly sure what that was, but he asks God repeatedly, will you take this from me? Look at what God tells him in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10. This is Paul summarizing God's response to him making that request, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, this is Paul now, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you catch that? So that the power of Jesus may rest upon me. You can pretend to have it all together, right? Like like nothing in this life will ever make you flinch. You can believe the lie that nothing will get you down. That being a Christian is about, again, putting on this happy face and overcoming all of your obstacles effortlessly. You can do that. You can live that way. But you will not get Jesus. And you will not become like Jesus. Guys, this whole Thing starts in weakness. When we came to him and we said, I need you. I am lost. I need saved. I need rescued. Will you breathe your life into me? Will you bring to life this dead body of mine? It starts in weakness and it never leaves there. We are always weak. We say to Jesus, over and over 10,000 times, I need you, I need you, I need you. And when we do that, we get him. He lends us his power. And in that, he's making us more and more like Jesus. 
So as I start to wrap things up, I just the question that I've been thinking about in my own life and, you know, and for the sake of this church is what kind of people is this crisis making us? Have you been wondering that? Like, what am I going to be like when this is over? How is God changing me and transforming me? And I wonder if what if, what if the weakness that we feel right now, the emotions, the, the grief, the exhaustion, the up and down of our lives, all of that becomes the very place that God wants to give us more of himself. That this would actually be a time while we're all scattered and we're at home and we're not able to be together, that what God is doing is he is building us up in strength, in power. And I think that, again, for the sake of the world, this is what the world needs, guys. There's a lot at stake here. I think that our friends, our family members, the people around us are desperate, especially right now. They're desperate for a strength that's beyond themselves. They're desperate for a vision of life that is beyond themselves. Your life is for the sake of the world. May we embrace our weakness, this glorious weakness that ushers us right into the presence of God to receive from God what is his way. Would we embrace that and would we receive from him the limitless supply of our mighty king? Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for the amazing grace, for the, <laughs> the good news that we don't have to have it all together. We thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you that when we are weak, then we are positioned to be strong. And so, God, would we put aside all of the, the just misguided beliefs and the lies that we have to be strong, that we have to do it in, in our own power? God, would you bring us to that place of surrender? And would, like, like Jesus received in that garden, would something really profound happen inside of us? And ultimately, God, would you be made more visible through us? Would the life of our King, our Savior, our friend, Jesus Christ, be all the more evident in us? And would the world see that and be drawn to you? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.